Welcome to Ballistic Radio. Join us as we explore the subtlety and nuance inside the world of personal protection. Listen as industry experts, thought leaders, and pioneers investigate why it depends is the answer of champions. Ballistic Radio, critical thought over empty rhetoric. Ballistic Radio is brought to you by Big Tech's Ordinance. Big Tech's Ordinance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at bigtechsordinance.com. And now, here's your host, John Johnston. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Big Tech's Ordinance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at bigtechsordinance.com. I'm your host, John Johnson. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at BallisticRadio.com and get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, other stuff at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. Joining us today, Chris Seipert. Chris, how's it going, man? It's doing well, John. How are you? So for those that don't know, uh, and and we work together, if if you guys haven't been paying attention, so I know a little bit about you, um, but for those that don't know, who are you, what do you do, what did you do? And we'll hop right into today. Sure thing. So, yeah, I'm Chris Seifert. I uh, work with, with you and Melody at uh, Citizen Sense Research as an instructor. Uh, I also still do a little bit of consulting uh, consulting uh, and contracting and instruction with the uh, Department of Defense related to my old job. My old job is I spent uh, 20 years in the United States Army. I retired last year. I spent the majority of that time as a, uh, a Special Forces uh, non-commissioned officer, uh, Special Forces medical sergeant, uh, or a Green Beret. And, and uh, I also so I spent most of that time on, a, on an ODA or an A-team, as, as they were called back in the day, which people may be familiar with. Uh, and uh, then I spent my last, uh, my last three years before I retired as an instructor of advanced skills at our Special Warfare Center. Retired, and then I'm taking my uh, my teaching uh, teaching ability that I learned as a Green Beret and as a, as a special operations instructor, and trying to translate that and some of the uh, the skills that I learned to the uh, civilian populace and take stuff I've been able to apply in my own life and apply that to uh, to help other people, uh, armed citizens and uh, law enforcement and so forth. Well, and that seems to be one of the bigger misconceptions, and I know it's popular um, to talk about you know, context these days. And in, in the past, I've been guilty of this, and I, I try to not do this anymore. But a lot of people, <clears throat> it seems they fall on one of one of two sides, where they give quite a bit of credence to military tactics and instructors and try and put them into an everyday context, right? And other people are like, well... This context doesn't apply at all. One of the things that I have always found interesting about you is your ability to take things that maybe don't seem like they would apply and being able to contextualize them for everyday life. Sure. Um, and that's valid, valid points all. Um, and what's interesting is, as, as you say, there, there tends to be two major schools of thought on on uh, military veterans teaching uh, the general public and the you know, special operators especially um, two, two schools of thought and obviously there's kind of a spectrum yeah some people will uh, frankly for for lack of a better term will, will kind of fanboy and like if somebody hasn't you know like shot at people in combat they don't want to they, they don't want to learn from them and then on the flip side you'll have people that basically reject uh, uh, reject people with military backgrounds wholeheartedly. Um, what's interesting about that is there's there's validity to 
all of those opinions. Like, you know, just like anything in life, it's, it's typically not black and white and binary. Um, there are some, uh, certainly some, oh, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of uh, tactics, a lot of uh, techniques and procedures that don't apply from the military context, and if you applied them in, uh, in, in the civilian context, would not only be not helpful, but might actually be harmful in a lot of ways. On the flip side, there's, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of good stuff there that can be translated. And some, frankly, some military, former military instructors do a good job of translating it. Some do a poor job of translating it. Uh, it's kind of a mixed bag. And, I, you know, I've tried very much to be, uh, uh, to be one of the ones that does a better job of tra- translating it. So I, I appreciate the kind of words. Was, was there any particular moment or event or thing in your life that kind of emphasized the importance of that? Or, or highlight, because you said, you know, not everyone does a good job of that. And, you know, clearly it's an area that you have identified as this is something important for me to do. So I'm going to try and do it. I'm curious if, if, why, I guess. Uh, Well, so really I wouldn't say there have certainly been moments and examples where I can I can point to and say that like my military experience and being able to translate it has either helped me or helped others. Uh, but my I guess my feeling led to uh, help people in a way that applies in their lives has more to do with um, ironically the uh, or coincidentally I should say uh, the the military principle of back, backwards planning. Uh, something I learned in the military is that when you plan, you start with the, the end goal, uh, and then you plan backwards from there. Like, for example, on a timeline, if you're like, okay, we have to be, you know, on a on target, uh, executing a raid or an ambush at, at time X, then you factor in how long it's, and you, you don't start planning from now, you start planning from then and plan backwards, and that's how you allocate your time uh, appropriately. And so, but you tend to, you tend to, like, plan everything that way if you're, Going something, I, something else I learned in the military is when you're planning a program of instruction, is what we call it, a POI or a lesson plan, uh, you start out with, okay, at the end of the lesson, what do I want the student to have learned? Uh, there, you know, there's jargon terms that aren't super important, like terminal learning objectives, but uh, the idea is, 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 at the, is at the end, what is the straw man of what a student's knowledge on this topic or skill of this, this uh, action will look like? And then you break that up into smaller parts and decide how long you're going to spend on each of those parts and such and so forth. Uh, well, in that vein, uh, when I started looking at uh, engaging in the training community outside of the military, I was like, okay, what do I, what do I want to accomplish? Like, what is the goal that I, you know, and, uh, actually Stephen Covey from uh, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People discusses this in his very famous book, uh, Begin with the End in Mind. It's the same principle. Like, what do I want to accomplish? And... There's different, there's training that makes people better and safer. There's, there's uh, edutrainment, uh, or it's been given other, other terms, you know, tactical fantasy camp, where people basically show up uh, looking for, um, basically to rub elbows with quote-unquote cool guys, Navy SEALs, Green Berets, yeah, you know, uh, Tier 1 guys, whatever, whatever term you want to use, uh, you know, for those guys. But, um and people basically just want to show up, bust some rounds off, run around kind of playing commando and having fun, and they're willing to pay their money to do that. And frankly, as long as the training is safe, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But I decided I didn't want to be involved in that 
generally speaking, because I wanted to actually help people in practical ways. I wanted to take the, the single mom of three kids uh, with the crazy ex-husband and help her make better choices to keep her and her kids safe. And that was just a higher priority to me than, than what is sometimes, frankly, the more lucrative training of, like, taking that same woman and putting her in a plate carrier and helmet and having her run around and clear buildings as a member of a four-man team as if she were a, uh, you know, some kind of commando. That's fun but it's not really going to help protect her from her stalker neighbor or crazy ex-husband or whatever realistic threat she has in her life. So that's just what I decided was my priority, and I planned everything backwards from there. Okay, that makes sense. We're, we're coming up on a break, and I, I, have, a, I have another question, but if I, if I ask it now, you're going you're gonna to have something awesome to say and get about three seconds into it, and then I'm going to interrupt you, which I would feel incredibly bad about doing. So what we're going to do, uh, we're talking with Chris Seipert from Citizens Defense Research right now. And I will ask that question after the break. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio brought to you by Big Tech's Ordinance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at BigTechsOrdinance.com. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat, makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since... 1977, a legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the EDC X9 series of firearms, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match grade accuracy, superior ergonomics and concealability with modern service pistol capacity, as well as reliability at wilsoncombat.com. So we're talking with Chris Seipert from Citizens Defense Research. And I'd ask you the question of how did, I guess, you arrive where you are right now and you were talking about backwards planning which is going to segue nicely into something that i would like to talk about with you and you you teach a class uh called maps mental agility uh preparation preparedness skills and you've got a quote in that about planning and i don't want to i don't want to like steal your thunder so and, and I think you know the quote that I'm talking about. I, I was wondering if you could give us that and then talk about what you mean there. Yeah, of course. So um, real quick, let me preface all this with saying um, that in the world of instruction, uh, in the world of all the people that people can, that, you know, that, that, that prospective students can go to, that want, they want to learn something from somebody, um, there's, I think knowing your strengths and knowing what you can offer is super important. And a lot of people, when they want to come train with me, they're thinking, like, shoot fast, look cool. Uh, and, again, kind of thinking of some of the commando stuff, some of the, what we call hard skills uh, of the objective, measurable, quantifiable, I have a draw first shot in one second flat or 1.5 seconds. You know, I can shoot, you know, point, point two split times or whatever it is. And those are, you know, those are what we call hard skills, the ability to, you know, uh, fight uh, the ability to deal you know, with a gun or a knife or whatever, and then there's uh, you know skills like uh, medical skills that are hard skills for like hey I can do this thing to standard in this amount of time. Whereas um, there's a lot of people doing that. Okay, there's a lot of people doing that, and a lot of really good people doing that. For example, if somebody came to me and said, hey Chris, I want to learn how to to uh, shoot a handgun as as fast and as technically proficient as possible, um, I would say cool. Um, you know, I can work with you, and I will, but let me introduce you to my friend John Johnson, who's very, very, very good at doing that and teaching that. Um, for me, um, 
I have a real passion for, for more of the soft skills. And as we were talking about the planning, uh, the planning and mental agility and, and kind of the, the stuff that's harder to measure and frankly doesn't get as much attention paid to it. Uh, and so my, my phrase, and this is something I used to tell my students in the, in the course that I taught prior to my retirement uh, routinely, uh, because there was a lot of planning and uh, decision-making involved in that course and that skill set I was teaching was uh, that planning is useless, or uh, plans are useless, excuse me. <clears throat> uh, plans are useless, but planning is invaluable. Um, I'm sure we all heard, we've all heard the, 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 the term, and I say most of, these, most of the listeners have probably heard somebody say that no, no plan survives first contact or, or something along those lines, you know, a, a military maxim that basically whatever plan you have is going to go out the window when the first, first round is fired. Uh, and there's a, there's a gigantic element of truth to that, which, of course, um, if you just take it at face value and don't think of it with any nuance, why would you continue planning then if plans are, you know, plans are useless? The reality is because the value of planning is not in the product, the outcome, the end state, the plan itself. It is in the cognitive process of planning. And what I mean by that is, is that you can you can spend you know days, weeks, months coming up with the perfect plan. And again, as soon as the actual event. Uh, whether it be a plan to defend your home in the event of an intruder, whether it be to invade a country with an army. Uh, as soon as you begin, circumstances are going to change and situations are going to dictate that your, your plan changes and modifies. However, one of the, the first steps to planning in general is um, collecting information, lots and lots of information, and studying the problem very carefully. And then having studied the problem very carefully, uh, developing a series of contingencies that you events that you, you know, unexpected things that you might think might transpire and then developing plans that, okay, if this happens, we're going to do that and such and so forth. And what this causes you to do is take the problem like a Rubik's Cube and wrestle with it and grapple with it and tear it apart and put it back together and think about it from 30 different angles. And so what that does is immerses you in the knowledge of the problem and the problem set and the environment you're working in. If you do it properly and go through the process properly to where what you will have achieved at that point is a cognitive awareness of what you're facing that will allow you to make split-second decisions more effectively. And so uh, if you've not developed a gun through the process of developing a plan, you will have not done the, 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 the soft skill cognitive work that will allow you to, in the moment, when an un unforeseen event pre presents itself, you've at least got a uh, immerse knowledge of the situation to make the, the least bad choice possible or the least, uh, the, the least negative choice possible. So I'll say two things. Uh, one is a comment and then one would be a question. As far as when we're discussing, you know, the hard skills versus the soft skills, and, and thank you for the compliment, by the way, as far as the, the technical shooting goes, it's my personal opinion that the soft skills are much more important than most of the hard skills. And I'm not saying that you don't want to get a baseline proficiency. And I'm not saying that, you know, more isn't better. But as far as focus of effort goes, I I think making good decisions is going to trump most extreme technical proficiency in a wide in a wider range of scenarios. Uh and, and I you know, 
I hate to make like broad brush statements like that, but but as a generalization, I I think decision making <clears throat> is incredibly important and probably more so than than people like to think because it's a much more uh, ethereal concept and as you said, much harder to quantify. Like you you can't take your decision making time, put it on a, a a timer really, and be like, you know, I was I was at one point three and now I'm at a point nine. Look at how much better I am. Um, the, the question is, as far as taking a a thing and wrestling with it and looking at it from all sides and, and stuff like that, it strikes me that certain people might say something along the lines of, well, I don't want to worry that much, or I don't, I don't want to be, you know, the kind of person that you know, ruminates negatively or because I've met, I've, you know, and I've been accused of this personally and, and maybe it's accurate or maybe it's not, but, you know, you're catastrophizing because you're thinking of all these ways that it could go wrong. And what, what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. So uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a saying that I picked up somewhere in the military that I love for stuff like this. And, and uh, the, the, the phrase is, uh, well, that, that makes total sense if you don't think about it. Um, so, <laughs> the and, and, and I don't mean that in a uh, you know in a in a, uh, a biting manner, if that makes sense, because that is without putting a whole lot of thought into it or without having a whole lot of experience in kind of the realm I'm talking about. Uh, that certainly uh, seems to make a lot of sense. And frankly, there's a lot of we all know a lot of. Um, mindsets or I guess ways of thinking that, that you know, you, you think a certain way and, and you're like, okay, that makes sense. Then as you get a little more knowledge and a little more experience, you're like, oh, okay, there, there was more to it than that. And so I, I get that sense, but I, I would actually say that there's, there is a lot more to it than that. And, and by that, I mean a, a couple of things. Um, I would actually, um, I, I would make two statements. Uh, one, if you learn how to if you learn how to think this way, and if you learn how to, I mean, and effectively all we're doing in the, in the self, self-protection, the self-preservation, self-defense world, uh, and that of course includes our loved ones for whom we're responsible and, and so forth, um, then really all we're doing is mitigating risk. Um, you know, we're, we're assessing potential risks and allotting the appropriate amount of energy to each of those risks to, to uh, mitigate them. And so, one, if you learn how to if you learn how to do it well, uh, and which doesn't take you know years of study or anything else, uh, then it doesn't take a lot of time. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of uh, it doesn't take a lot of effort. Doesn't take a lot of emotional energy. And then secondarily, what I would tell you is um, that I, you know in my military career, for example, uh, the and this analogy is one to one, but I think people will get what I'm talking about. I've been part of uh, operations that were well-planned, and I knew they were well-planned, and I knew my part in the plan, and I knew uh, my job, and I knew that it, you know, if, if A, then B, if C, then D, and I knew every step of the way, uh, and I went into that uh, operation, that mission, with a high degree of confidence and a relatively low degree of worry, because I knew I was ready. 
um, for whatever whatever may come. I knew I was as ready as I could possibly be. And I've, and I've frankly been on, been on some missions in my career that were thrown together last second. Maybe I had a leader who wasn't, uh, you know, uh, at, at whatever level above me who I didn't have a lot of confidence in, and the situation was ambiguous. Maybe the, the time demands required that we launched before we really had time to take a, a pregnant tactical pause and think about what we were doing. And, we were, and I, I felt like we were rushing to failure because we didn't really have a, a good plan or a sound understanding of what we were walking into or what we might face. Uh, and I had, a, I had a much higher degree of worry and a much higher degree of stress. Uh, and so I would argue that, that having, ha- having a high degree of competence and confidence in yourself, your abilities, uh, your awareness, um, does just the opposite. It doesn't catastrophize everything. It, it literally uh, puts you in a place where you know, like, okay, hey, I've done the work. You know, I sat down and I thought for 15 minutes about this thing one time, came up with a couple of reasonable contingencies. Um, you know, maybe once a quarter I go rehearse or practice those contingencies, depending on whatever it is we're talking about, right? If it's a, how we're going to respond to a home invasion or whatever else, um, then then I can file that away. I can basically show you know, put that back in the file folder in my mental file cabinet and pull it out when I need it. And I can basically live a little bit more stress-free about that particular eventuality. I mean, nobody – how many – let me look at it another way. How many kids in the last 50 years in America have burned to death in a fire in a public school? I believe zero. Uh, yeah. I, I, now, if, if, the, if, the, if, the, if there is a number, it is less than five. I believe zero. I believe zero children have died in the last 50 years in uh, in America in public schools, um, yet every year um, every school in America continues to have fire drills. Why? Because somebody worked out the plan and said, "Hey, let's make sure you know, let's make sure once a year or twice a year or whatever it is for that particular school district, they bust it out and make sure it still works and say, yep, okay, we can reasonably get everybody everybody out of our school in 120 seconds or 180 seconds if there's a fire or a bomb threat or whatever it is." And, uh, and nobody, nobody says that they're catastrophizing, even though there's, you know, over the last few years, like zero examples of, of that actually being needed because it's relatively, and what you're alluding to, by the way, it's, uh, as it relates to soft skills versus hard skills, is that investment of time into soft skills is very efficient, all right? And what I mean by that is, is that especially once you start getting at the, the higher end of hard skills, the technical skills, like, you know, once you get your draw to first shot down into the low one second or, su- or at one second or sub one second, shooting tenths of a second off becomes very, very hard. It's not very hard to take somebody from a three, three second draw to first shot to a two second draw to first shot. Getting from two to one is a lot harder. And getting from, from one to point nine is a lot harder still, right? On the flip side, um, the amount of time and energy it takes to invest in cognitive ability versus the gains you can get from it, I think, is much, much, um, you basically see greater gains, if that makes sense. And not only that, but with cognitive skill, that's something that you don't have to be on a range to practice. Uh, and that's part of what my, my math class is about, is teaching people methodologies they can use in their everyday life to help make them make better decisions once they do find themselves in that self-defense situation, just by habitually practicing planning, preparation, and mental agility as a, as a, and developing it as a matter of second nature. No, and that, that makes sense. Uh, we have to go to break, and we'll, we'll dive even further in all of this. Right now we're talking with Chris Seipert from Citizens Defense Research. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. 
Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Big Tech's Ordinance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at BigTechsOrdinance.com. This segment also brought to you by Big Tech's Ordinance. Big Tech's Ordinance is the best place for you to find all of your everyday carry needs at the absolute best prices. Maybe you need all the Candela from Motlite at the lowest price, like the new PL350 weapon-mounted light. No problem. Spend too much time alone in your room and need an optic on your carry gun now? Well, Big Tech's Ordinance has those. Glock accessories? Yes, fast, cheap shipping, 100% hassle-free returns, all that and more. And best of all, Big Tech's Ordinance has Ike. He's a good man and thorough. I like Ike. Everybody likes Ike, and you'll like Ike, too. Visit BigTechsOrdinance.com today and find out what happens when every customer is a friend, not just an order. So we're talking with Chris Seipert from Citizens Defense Research, and we're, we're kind of having this conversation about essentially where people allocate their resources. And, and when I say resources, whether it's their mental energy, their time, their, you know, their resources. And we're having this discussion of soft skills versus hard skills. And you were saying before the break that you can see a lot more gains in the soft skills side of things. It, it's a more efficient allocation of re- resources for many people. And I guess the question that, that I was kind of asking before, and you you answered most of it, what what I'm trying to I guess get get people to think about is what is the difference between worrying and planning? Ah, okay. So Worrying ultimately is unproductive. All right. Worrying is is me laying in bed, um, freaking out about, um, you know, freaking out about. I don't know. I'm going to go into work tomorrow. My boss is, you know, it, worry. I, I know you remember Office Space. I'm sure a lot of our viewers remember Office Space, the movie, uh, Mike Judge, uh, Mike Judge movie, where the very beginning of the movie, Peter, the the protagonist of the story, is like. Oh man, you know, Lumberg, his boss, is gonna make me work on work on Saturday. I just know it. And he's just sitting around all day wound up um because Lumberg is gonna you know, his boss is gonna make him work on Saturday. That's work. Not productive, not uh, not practical, and it just takes years off our life and makes us miserable. Planning is, all right, I think my boss is gonna ask me to work on Saturday, and when he does, this is going to be my planned response. And then if he says this and tries this tax to talk me into it, then I'm going to, you know, remind him that I worked last Saturday and so and so, you know, whatever it is. And I'm literally going to try to map out the conversation that if he takes this tax, I'll do this. If he takes this tax, I'll do that. And if he takes this tax, I'll do this. Now, having made those decisions, I'm going to go ahead and, again, close the file folder, put it back in the filing cabinet, and go on about my day without worrying about it. And when it comes up, I know what to do. I don't have to stop and make up a plan on the spot and figure out what to say on the spot because I've already thought about what to say. That's planning. And frankly, uh, you know, like my class is called, called uh, uh, Mental Agility uh, Preparation and Planning Skills, but the secret sauce is, is that some people are going to be genetically and just naturally by temperament very mentally agile, and some people are not. The way that you train mental agility is through planning and preparation. And so um, that's the difference, really, is that, that planning are what practice, is asking yourself, what practical steps can I take to be more prepared and have an idea of what to do for this 
contingency, this eventuality. Worrying is just sitting around, freaking out, letting your heart rate spike and your blood pressure spike um, because this bad thing might happen. And I would actually argue that planning reduces worry. Do you think that the challenge most people have is that – let me think about how I, I want to phrase this because this is important. Do you think that most people are not very decisive and the trouble occurs when they might know what the right thing to do is, but they're not fully committed to doing it inside of this sort of mental mapping thing? And that's where some of the angst comes in? And, and oh, Absolutely. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and, and so and I, I won't I won't um, I won't dip my toe too far into the waters that are on my mind right now. But but you know um, that over the last uh, few days and weeks, I've I've written and talked publicly about uh, decisiveness and choosing a course of action and committing to it um, being a uh, an ideal course of action, even if it's a sub ideal idea or suboptimal idea. So, um, it, General uh, General George S. Patton, a uh, long time ago, you know, brilliant military commander, said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said more or less that a, a good plan today is better than a perfect plan next week. And I relate it to, uh, I, I'm, I'm big into fitness and I'm big into um, weightlifting and, and diet, uh, you know, I'm fortunately I'm fairly blessed. I can, I can more or less eat what I want, but I'm, I'm still interested in kind of the nutrition and fitness. And, um, but what I tell people all the time is as I have a lot of people who, you know, Hey, Chris, you're pretty fit. You know, what do you do? What do you, how should I work out? How should I eat? And they're, they're coming to, because, because they're less decisive in their choices, right? They're second guessing, you know, whether or not they're doing the optimal workout or, and, and in the gun world, for example, and I know, and I know that almost every gun person has been in this uh, place at one point in their journey. Um, when I was in my twenties, I would fret about ammo selection all day, every day, reading magazine articles and books on you know, whether Golden Sabres were better or Ranger T-Series was better or, you know, well, that I was going to get killed in the streets if I didn't have the perfect ammo selection um, because it seemed really important, but I had a lack of decisiveness. And so, and, and obviously, eventually what you figure out is like, hey, man, like here's, here's a pool of ammos that are good enough. Just carry one of those and stop worrying about it. But likewise, in the fitness world, what I tell people is I'm like, hey, listen, most Fitness programs will work if you just pick one and stick with it consistently. If you if you do P90X for two weeks and then decide to do uh, Jim Wendler's 531 you know barbell program for two weeks and then you switch to uh, CrossFit for two weeks, then you're, yeah, you're never going to get anywhere. So what I tell people is I'm like, hey man, like identify kind of a a, a, a pool of good enough workout programs and a pool of good enough diets. Here's, here's a ton of diets that will all work if you just do them for six months or a year straight. Uh, and then commit to it and do them. And so the, one of the things with, with decisiveness uh, that I encourage people is I'm like, hey, listen, um, spend a little bit of time thinking about it, all right? Like try to be honest with yourself and like if you have a preferred course of action, Try to stop, stop, you know, and say, okay, yeah, if an intruder comes in the house, I'm going to black my house out. I'm just going to use my weapon mounted lights through the house. 
and then stop yourself and say, okay, how can that go wrong? And then remind yourself, like, oh, I have, you know, three or four small children in the house. Uh, so maybe running around my, my weapon light pointed, you know, in various directions to, un to the unknown is not the best idea. Um, but that being said, you've got you've to learn that there's thinking through the realistic contingencies that can come about and then what ifing it to death. Uh, and we don't want to what if to death. So at the end of the day, spend a reasonable amount of time on a mental problem based on how likely it is to occur and how severe it be, would be if it did occur. Uh, but then at a certain point, just pick a course of action because frankly, if you're even thinking about it ahead of the event, you're way ahead of the game. Um, but at a certain point, yeah, just pick a course of action and go with it and commit to it and rehearse it. And it will be better than no plan at all, I guarantee you that. <clears throat> Let me think about kind of where I want to steer this next. What are the when when someone is is planning for an event, how important is it to have a realistic idea of what the problem is likely to be versus spending all of this time on, you know, enemy's most dangerous course of action, right? right. You, you, yeah. you know where I'm trying to go with this, I think. Yeah, so, and that's exactly it, is um, how much time, you know, you should you spend figuring out what the realistic threats are or risks are versus the, um, you know, basically fantasy and just fantastical, uh, you know, John, John Wick hit squad showing up at your house kind of thing. Absolutely. So, um, frankly, I would say that, um, let me think very carefully about whether I want to say this as strongly. It is, uh, it's step one. And if you don't get that step right, um, then, then much like a lot of other, uh, that if you get the first step wrong, you know, if you lay the foundation of the house incorrectly, then you will have problems with, you know, if your foundation is crooked and cracks and is shifting, then you're going to have problems with your plumbing. Then you're going to have problems with your electrical. Then you're going to have problems with your, you know, framing and drywall and everything else. Well, this, this is what you're discussing is the foundation of mental agility, preparation, planning. And so the, there's, a, there's a list of soft special operations forces, and there's a list of soft imperatives and a list of soft truths that exist in the Special Operations Command in the United States military. The first soft imperative is know your operational environment. Now, that sounds very you know, jargony and military, but all it just means is, yeah, understand your environment, understand the, the context of your environment, understand the, you know, the social context, the risk context, the political, cultural context, understand all those contexts. And if you fail to, and basically you can, you can trace, uh, I would say most failures of military missions to um, failures of that victim, knowing your operational environment. And so to the, to the armed citizen or prospectively armed citizen who uh, you know, is interested in self-protection, that, that holds true. Know your operational environment. And what that means is, is, is uh, that must you know when you may and may not 
use lethal force. Yeah, I'd say that's, if you don't want to spend the rest of your life in prison, that's pretty important. That's part of the operational environment. Um, and then beyond the general principles of lethal force in the United States, there's going to be like local laws and local case law and local district attorneys and political stuff. And, and let's, let, let's not kid ourselves. There are politically motivated prosecutions and so forth in various parts of the country. And if you live in those parts of the country, then you must understand that. You absolutely must understand that. Um, so that's part of the, that's the legal context. And then from the risk context in terms of what the threat is, um, I'll give you a great example if, if we've got time. Well, so let's do, um, let's do this, actually. Uh, hold that thought, and we'll dive okay. right into it as soon as we get back. We're uh, talking with Chris Seipert from Citizens Defense Research. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Big Tech's Ordnance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at bigtechsordnance.com. So we're talking with Chris Seipert from Citizens Defense Research. I had you hold a thought before the break and go. So uh, looking at uh, just a very, very common example of where people misallocate their, their resources based on a failure to understand the operational environment. Let me ask you, and I think you'll, I think you'll immediately uh, give the right answer. No pressure, though, and no big deal. But, but for out of 100 people that go out and buy a gun, what do the majority of them say they're buying a gun for specifically? Uh, if they're buying it, not for hunting, but for purposes of defense, it's generally defense wear. Uh, defense, defending their home. Defending their home, right. It's, yeah, overwhelmingly, I, you know, we've got a gun in the home for home defense. Um, but if you look at statistics of violent crime, um, comparatively speaking, uh, most uh, crimes in the home, if you will, uh, are attempted by Family. basically cat burglars. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, if if we're really looking at violent crime um, inside of the home, we're we're looking at family on family violence, like yeah, over very, very much. Yeah, overwhelmingly. But yeah, very 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 much so. Uh, I'm sorry, where I was going with that was generally speaking, though, is if an intruder, quote unquote, uh, comes into your home, then overwhelmingly in America, it is a, it is a burglar, um, and generally a cat burglar by intent. By that I mean, overwhelmingly. Whenever somebody breaks into a house that isn't theirs, they're they're hoping that it's not occupied, right? Because they want to basically steal all your stuff while you're gone. Now, if you can, you get into a lethal encounter with a burglar. Of course, you can. You know, if it's if it's their, you know, they've got two strikes and they get rolled up one more time, and you're between them and the door, and you have to shoot them. Absolutely, that happens. That happens in America quite frequently. However, like. Dedicated home invasions where you're fighting off like armed home intruders is is fairly rare for the average person, right? Now, if you live in a you know you live in a you know West Baltimore where people are robbing crack houses, you know other drug dealers are robbing crack houses and stuff all the time. Yeah, maybe maybe you'll wrong wrong place wrong time. But yeah, generally speaking, if you live in you know random place America, the likelihood of somebody kicking in your door uh, and with the intent to commit. Uh, you know, a, a dedicated home invasion is pretty rare. Yeah. Overwhelmingly, where people end up needing to use lethal force to protect themselves is outside the home. And specifically, it's at what I call, uh, and it's not my original term, but I, I don't know who to credit because I've heard so many different people say it, um, human watering holes. Is all humans, like predators don't, you know, generally lions don't track gazelle. They just hang out by the watering hole and wait for gazelle to show up. Likewise, generally speaking, human predators don't have to follow you anywhere. They just hang out at a convenience store 
a supermarket parking lot, a Walmart parking lot, a shopping mall parking lot, because that's where people go. Uh, and of course, you know, we call those those types of spaces, transitional spaces, because you're moving from one environment to another, indoors to outdoors, into a car, out of a car, which is also where people are very vulnerable. And so what's interesting is you'll, you'll have people who are like, oh, I have a gun in my home for protection. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I have a gun in my home for my protection. I have a, lots of guns in my home. However, if you, if you, if you had me make a choice, if you basically said, Chris, you can either keep a gun in your home or, you know, just some kind of mystical, fantastical choice, or you can carry a gun when you're out on the street. I would carry a gun out on the street. Yep. The number, of, the number of people who either don't carry a gun or they intentionally carry a little, like, C-camp pocket gun that they can't shoot very well because they're, quote, unquote, just going down to the store, you know, for a pack of smokes or for a gallon of milk, you know, five minutes away. Um, doesn't make any sense because statistically speaking, the convenience store, grocery store, or Walmart parking lot nearest your home is statistically overwhelmingly where you're most likely to need to use lethal force to defend your life. Yeah. Uh, because it's where you go all the time, uh, and that is where human predators hang out. And so yet people seem to be obsessed with like home defense and shooting intruders forcing their way into their home, but that's not that's a thing that comparatively is rare compared to somebody getting carjacked at the local stop and rob convenience store. Yeah. And to to rewind just slightly, the human watering hole thing, it was either uh, Dr. William April or Tom Givens, and one, one or the other. I'm pretty sure it was Dr. April, but it could have been Tom. So anyway. Yeah, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm actually reasonably confident that I've heard both of them use it yep. along with several other people. And, yeah, I'd, that, that would be a likely source for either one of those. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to not credit someone. Sure, sure, That's sure. That's not sure. my original thought. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, ultimately – Understanding, and that Dr. William April, just briefly, his, uh, for anybody who doesn't know who he is, I know he's been on the show a million times, but yeah, go, go find his, uh, his memorial tribute page, uh, Google his page, and go watch and learn as much stuff from William April as you can, because in terms of understanding your operational environment, there's never, there's not been a man uh, ever that I'm aware of who's done a better job of teaching that to private citizens on what your operational environment is and what the risks and threats you're facing are. Yeah, yep. Um, so we, we got a couple more minutes and we're, we're in the last segment of the show, getting people to understand, you know, typical and likely and not focus on the fantastic, uh, the fantastic wild scenarios. You know, what if you're attacked by a man with two and I'm not going to continue the at quote because anyway um <laughs> what why do you think people do that um so i think i think there's i think there's actually a couple of reasons um one so i think there's i think there's a the first reason that's that's, that's a good question i think the first reason that people do it is because they don't know their operational environment. They don't know what is likely to happen. Um, you know, j- literally just the other day, I was teaching a I was teaching a church uh, church security uh, foundations class uh, to a group of uh, like church security team members, and and I was getting um, I was getting questions about stuff like that. And I'll give you an example. And it wasn't. I mean, they were good questions. But yeah, I was talking about. Um, okay, you know, somebody just shot the, the shooter in the congregation who rushed to the white settlement, uh, white settlement church shooting uh, from a few years ago. And 
and then there wasn't any really kind of control to what happened after that. And I was talking about their need to, to have a refined plan for who does what post-shooting if there is a shooting. And then one gentleman brought up, like, you know, well, what if there's multiple shooters? What if, you know, basically everybody's focused on the front, but all of a sudden another, another mass shooter opens up from the, from the back? And, and I basically, I, was, I pointed out, I was like, hey, that's not wrong. If you want to plan for it, you can plan for it. Um, I was like, but frankly, like one mass shooter in a church is a fairly, you know, given the number of churches and the number of services every week, everything else, a fairly rare event. Then having another guy who doesn't initiate at the same time and is like a stay-behind mass shooter, uh, frankly, is not something that we've ever seen before. And at, some, at a certain point, you've got to shut off your, like, what if, what if, what if button. Uh, and, and I told him too, I was like, also, frankly, if you think like you're going to have church security team members like going back to back and like having a discipline to like cover their sector with the amount of time you guys can do to invest in training, I was like, frankly, everybody's probably going to be focused on where the gunfire just happened at initially. And that's just, you know, you're probably not going to be able to overcome that in training. So part of that is, is, is that, you know, the guy was thinking through stuff that just hasn't been observed. Like, could it happen? Yeah, it absolutely could happen. And one day it probably will. But if you're allocating, you know, you're probably never going to encounter a mass shooter, and if you do, it's probably, it probably won't be the one in a million mass shooter. At a certain point, you've got to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to shift our focus to something else. I think the other reason, though, is the reason that we see it a lot, John, you and I, is that we teach classes about this stuff. And I also think there's, there's a, and I don't mean it pejoratively, but a stump the chump mentality where basically a student wants to come up with a scenario the instructor hasn't thought about to show how creative the student can think. And there's, there's a little bit of showing off to that. So I think we encounter it in classes a whole lot. You know, and I, we encounter it on the Internet a whole lot, not because people think it's a realistic possibility, but because they want to show off how creative and devious their mind is and how smart they are thinking about this stuff. So they come up with John Wick ninja scenarios. Yeah, it's, it's very possible. Um, hey, we talked a lot, and we're at the end of the show. What would you leave people with before we, uh, we sign off? Um, so I would, uh, I would just encourage you uh, at some point this week to pick one physical location and then think through, if I were to encounter, um, if I were to encounter this contingency, and it could be a, an armed robber, it could be an unarmed belligerent person who's trying to fight you, it could be a fire, it could be one of my coworkers having a heart attack. But basically, if, if in this physical location I were to encounter this kind of, uh, this kind of emergency event, uh, how would I handle it? How would I have, handle it if it happened in the parking lot? How would I handle it if it happened inside? How would I handle it if it happened at day, day, daytime while I was wide awake sitting on my couch? How would I handle it at night uh, while I was dead asleep in my underwear? Um, and just walk yourself through that problem, come up with kind of a general idea, and then try to poke holes in that idea to improve it, and spend 15 minutes doing this week, uh, doing that this week, and try to get them the habit of doing that weekly. And that'd be something I would encourage everybody to try. Awesome. Hey, thanks for taking time to talk to everyone this morning. I really appreciate it. Hopefully, the listeners do too. If you want to uh, find out more about Chris's classes, uh, citizensdefenseresearch.com. And uh, thanks, man. And I, I think yep. we're, I think we're going to do one more. So we'll, we'll, everyone will get two weeks of you, which will be awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, well, maybe we'll see. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see. We'll see. Hey, make sure you check out our website, ballisticradio.com. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com/slash ballisticradio. And hey, if you think we've earned it, please keep leaving those five star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe and see you next week. <laughs>